As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, I mean... Is it a Pochettino? The Manchester doubleheader and one hand on the WSL title. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. And we are back once again. Don't worry, this season is nearly finished and we won't have to think about it ever again, hopefully. But we've got to talk about it a bit for now. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of The Athletic's finest, Simon Johnson. Hello. And Liam Toomey. Hello. I thought it was quite interesting that they preceded Sunday's trophy lift with an association football match, just some sort of exhibition. Yeah, it was big testimonial energy, wasn't it? Uh, That's for sure. Uh, We'll talk about the Chelsea men giving a guard of honour to Manchester City's reserves and the Chelsea women giving Arsenal a shoeing. But first, the never tedious manager update. Right, seriously, Simon, what is going on here? Why hasn't Maurizio Pochettino been announced yet? Um, You know, just the final little bits to sort out. I feel like we said that six weeks ago. Are they just waiting for the end of the season? Are they going to do it before the game on Sunday? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have obviously asked the question to people going, what what is the reason for the delay? There's nothing untoward. There's no... Last minute, oh god, this could age badly, couldn't it? There's no last minute hitches, eleventh hour U turns, etc. There's been a couple of explanations that I've been told. One sort of not not wanting to be seen to undermine Lampard. He's sort of doing that himself, isn't he? I mean, is that really a thing? No, but I I I think what what is meant by that is the awkward scenario of. Lampard doing pre-match presses and being asked about Pochettino, Pochettino, Pochettino. I, I think it's from that angle, which I, I, I get. I mean, is Lampard's got an awkward enough job as it is. Personally, I think it's all basically done and that Poch is already working, but the actual announcement just hasn't happened yet. The other thing is, I was talking to someone yesterday and they were on the impression that it's also... Pochettino wanting absolutely no sort of connection to this season at all. <laughs> so, 
So, which, again, well, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, I totally understand that as well. I mean, well, why why would you, you know, it, if it's just an announcement, but you know both sides are happy and it's all done, it, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's only, it sounds terrible for me to say, it's only the fans that want, want this to happen. And, of course, it's important to them, but I don't think it's a problem. And targets are being discussed, looked at, as I've said before in this pod, players he wants to keep, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I was sort of thinking in my head, I was going, oh, what would they do? What might they do? Could they do it sort of before Newcastle or bring Potch on the pitch or something just to sort of lighten the mood? But mm, it's unlikely because, again, it's tainting himself with anything to do with this season. So... Next Sunday, after the lap of honour uh, announcement on the website, or maybe next Monday. But who knows? I obviously don't know exactly when they're going to do this. Maybe they could wait for the first week of August to announce it. Just get as far away from this season as possible. <laughs> uh, just to stop any chance of people drawing that connection. Or, or maybe it's just teed up on the Chelsea website content plan behind the Christopher and Kunku announcement, which also hasn't happened yet. Uh, it, it is bizarre, and I hope it's. Um, I hope it is as Simon says that he is working because the whole point of getting this done and identifying a preferred candidate sooner rather than later was that you could really get the summer planning in motion because Chelsea have a lot of work to do, and yeah, you know, targets is fine, but Chelsea need to sort out a lot of players' futures. That is priority number one players that they already have. So Pochettino needs to be working on that already beyond simply saying, oh, I wouldn't mind keeping this player or I wouldn't mind selling this player. There there has to be there have to be wheels in motion on all of these situations. I just wonder whether there is just a technical glitch because we, we we've yet to yet to hear Lampard's backroom staff be officially confirmed, have we? So maybe maybe this is like a, a backlog of, of uh Things to upload. That same fax machine slash scanner that did hack him Ziyech out of his transfer. Isn't he? <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's just it's technical. Every everywhere there's a glitch from the training pitch to the actual pitch, Stamford Bridge to yeah, technical equipment. All needs an overhaul. Okay, I'll email site services now and I'll let you know if they get back to me uh, within the course of the pod. All right, Liam told us last week he wasn't much looking forward to his trip to the Etihad. We'll talk through the City game next, but not for long as it's quite depressing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It's Alvarez! And the party is well and truly underway! 
World Cup winner, Premier League winner, and on Manchester City's day of celebration, it's Alvarez who breaks the deadlock. I can be happier today because I saw um, things I spoke about and I've been speaking about for the last month in some performances I haven't seen them today was a team. And yeah, a young, a young team with uh, improvements to do, but you, you have to act upon it and you have to do it daily, daily, daily to get where City have got and where we've been many times. So um, it was an improved performance from us. Right, merciful slash disinterested Manchester City won game, but limited Chelsea nil at the Etihad then. Let's hear from our on-site correspondent. Some people are on the pitch because they know it's all over. This seems to be a persistent theme these days. When titles are won, fans stream onto the pitch, even if they've been told not to. Uh, I get the impression that these City fans were just waiting all afternoon to do this and the game was kind of a minor inconvenience. It was also happened to be probably the most uncomfortable, I thought, Manchester City's players looked at any stage when they were getting mobbed by people racing onto the pitch from stands on all sides. Uh, they were escorted quickly back down the tunnel. None of this is about Chelsea, of course, but then today wasn't about Chelsea, was it? I'm not sure how much Manchester City really noticed that they were here. They just tended to be extras in another team's celebration on the pitch. That's not to say they didn't have chances. Chelsea played OK. Uh, they actually won the XG in the first half. And, um, and created some clear-cut chances in the second. But this wasn't a, a real football match in any meaningful respect. And it was always going to be that way from the moment that Arsenal gave Manchester City the title by losing to Nottingham Forest on Friday night. You get the impression that maybe Pep Guardiola looked at his team and, and swapped the subs and the first 11 around. It was, it was basically the cup team that Chelsea played against. And they still showed, really, that they could cut through Chelsea at will. Whenever they went up through the gears, Cole Palmer gave Cesar Azpilicueta a torrid time. Phil Foden, Rico Lewis looked dangerous between the lines. Julian Alvarez took his goal well, a goal that was an absolute gift from Wesley Fofana just passing the ball straight into Manchester City possession out of defence. And that's about it, really. There's, there's not... I'm struggling for things to say about, about Chelsea because this hasn't been a happy hunting ground for them in certain respects. I think they'll feel like 1-0 was a victory given how miserable recent trips here have been. But it didn't feel like a, a victory in truth. It didn't really feel like anything. Uh, well put, Liam. It definitely did have a big kind of testimonial end of season uh, let's just get the game out of the way and, and get the trophy uh, mood about the game Simon I don't know what you thought of it a couple of things that stood out to me I thought Lewis Hall did well against Man City for the third time this season it's, it's interesting that what with the exception of Chesterfield last year he, he only tends to play against the top teams but he's acquitting himself well in the position that he doesn't really want to play him yeah yeah he did well um, what else do I remember from that game Sterling should have had a couple of goals I remember it being sunny and going oh it's the sun's out in Manchester wow there were inflatable bananas in the crowd which to me just immediately screams end of season specifically Manchester yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. I think. yeah I was a bit disappointed that 
for whatever reason, perhaps it was just purely defensive, you know, to, to worry about the defence side of it. The Madweki was, was on the on the bench and and then when he came on he looked sharp. Um there was another reminder that as Piliquator's human and he's he's sadly Father Time has caught up with him. I actually found that quite a sad sight watching him getting ripped apart by an academy player from, from Man City. Do you think that's why he was so aggy? Because he was like, even toward the end of the game, he was getting really mardy with Erling Haaland, wasn't he? Do you think he, he just maybe thought, ah, oh, yeah, this is time catching up with me? I I, I think, look, I, I, no, I just think that's as Piliquator anyway. I, he's, he is Mr. Studious, considered off the pitch, but on it, he's um, a real competitor. And it's that kind of spirit that Chelsea need to find from their new signing, stroke signings they've already made. The sort of, that personality is not enough of um, in that dressing room. But, you know, the mind is willing, the body is weak. Um, trust me, I know all about that. And uh, <laughs> and, and it, it, it was a sad sight. The other thing I, I ranted about on Twitter, which wasn't Chelsea-related, I thought the pitch invasion was pathetic. Given I didn't hear the Man City fans for throughout game, they suddenly, there's a, a small minority, it's always a small minority, isn't it? That they wanted to get on telly and and take selfies. There's pitch invasions and there's pitch invasions, and that one just felt a little bit. Oh, we just want to get on telly and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I saw you tweeted um, Matt about Nottingham Forest being able to celebrate a genuine occasion in the sense of there was no tension about that Chelsea game. That's what I didn't get. I know they were lifting the trophy afterwards, but it was just so I didn't like it. Whereas the Forest one which didn't even have a pitch invasion. That was a genuine sort of source of celebration. And uh, yet Forest fans were able to stay in their seats. But maybe I'm just a grumpy old man. I don't know whether the listeners have, have got that impression over the years. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting. It, pitch invasions were a big thing last year, weren't they? And, and not to make it about Forest, but they had one after the playoff semi-final that ended up with somebody thumping Billy Sharp and was a really bad look for the club. Yeah. And I think that sort of part of the pack that's been made between... Forest as a club and the supporters this season is that we try and do the best for each other and, and part of that is not mobbing the players and making people feel unsafe and making sure that everybody can get to enjoy it and, and you were there Liam I mean it looked like some of the City players and I'm sure some of the Chelsea players were, were legitimately worried when people started heading towards them. Yeah I was watching the players when it happened actually and they immediately started sprinting towards the tunnel for some of them, it was as fast as I'd seen them move all afternoon, and and the stewards and the police were obviously semi prepared for this because there had been warnings over the PA system in the second half. Part of me felt have they almost put it in the fans' head to do this by warning them not to do it, um, and it was booed each time, so it was obvious that there was people in the crowd who wanted to go on the pitch. The stewards and police reacted, reacted quite quickly and formed like a, a double ring in front of the tunnel which only only players were allowed to uh, move through. And I, yeah, it always surprises me in those situations how quickly players manage to extricate themselves. But there were a few instances where I saw players getting mobbed, like Erling Haaland was getting mobbed by a lot of City fans and he didn't seem to be enjoying it. Because even if, you know, even if there's the best will in the world and it's, and it's positive emotion that's powering it all, football fans in those situations you know there, there's alcohol involved there's maybe other things involved and they can be a bit physically boisterous and there's a lot of them 
and it's an unusual situation. So I can see why players, even when it's their own fans, you know, I, I was at um, when I went to Italy to see Milan win the league to do my Fukuya Tomori piece. The same thing happened there, but on a larger scale in Sassuolo Stadium, and the Milan players were really uncomfortable <laughs> because it, it was a lot. It was a lot, and and um, and the emotion there was even even stronger. So I think players like it when you know the fans are creating an amazing atmosphere from a distance. But as soon as that invisible barrier is broken, it becomes very dicey. I think the FA, genuinely, it's not just me being, the FA are trying to clamp, you know, there are moves to try and clamp down on this because it's not really necessary. I I understand when emotions take over, say like the Sheffield Wednesday uh, playoff game where that was an incredibly dramatic night, a a real amazing occasion. But this was anything but. This was was like the wettest of wet lettuces, Maybe they're uh, it's telling into a Man City fans podcast, but you know they're all out with their phones on the pitch, basically taking pic. Oh, here's me on the pitch to put on their socials. I ju- I just found it all you know with my grumpy old man hat on. I've seen many Chelsea title trophies days, and I've not seen any Chelsea pitch invasions. Now I don't think that means that Chelsea fans care less. Uh, care any less about it than Manchester City. I just found it all a bit unnecessary. And, um, yeah, maybe I'm just uh, just ranting. I, I need something to rant about this week and there's nothing to rant about Chelsea, so I'll rant about them instead. Uh, well, somebody who got on the pitch legitimately was Carney Chukwemeka. Strange quotes from Frank Lampard afterwards, Liam. I want to get in minutes, but I have to think about my job. I thought he did well when he came on. Uh, uh, that baffled me a little bit. Obviously, there's this, not row, but slight uh, discord about the fact that he's not gone to the Under-20 World Cup with England, although there was some talk that maybe he could go for the latter stages of the tournament, which seems a little bit strange. But were you expecting to see see more of Carney at the Etihad? Or, and was this just a kind of token nod to the fact that they've kept him there, so they need to get him on the pitch for a little bit? I mean, given Chelsea's history... I wasn't surprised to not see him in the starting lineup. You know, I, I part of me felt that they would there would be Cesaros Pilaqueta starting at left back in front of Lewis Hall the last couple of weeks. So you know, nothing really surprises me. I do believe that's the compromise that's been reached because unlike Lewis Hall, Chukwemeka was actually in the squad, named in the squad. I believe that's the compromise that's been reached where he will stick around for the rest of this week, potentially be involved in the last two games certainly in the match day squads, you would think, um, and then head off to the tournament. It was nice to see him on the pitch. It was, I don't know, I'm kind of torn about it. I think even the value of starting a game like that, just based on what I saw, it wasn't a real Premier League game. It, It wasn't close to Premier League intensity. It was City's cup team against the Chelsea team that we know has not been motivated in the last few weeks in any serious way and there were there were moments where you know players broke into a run and tried to attack and pass and and do all the normal football things but it it very much felt like as you said at the at the top Matt there was a testimonial feel to this game Um, and so when you're looking at player development how much did Lewis Hall get out of that probably more than nothing but less than 
maybe some of the other games he's played this year and, and Chip Wemeka. Nice to see him on the pitch. He might get a bit more from the United game, given that United still have something to play for and maybe Newcastle on, on the final day. But it has been, I think, a frustrating few months for him. And the bigger question is, why has he not been involved more since January? You know, when it when it's been really clear that in the league, at least, Chelsea have been going nowhere. He's one of those players, I think, that will be looking around thinking, what exactly is the plan for me here? Yeah, I'm just looking at his record, Simon. So this season for Chelsea, he hasn't played 90 minutes. He started one game in the Premier League and made 11 sub-appearances. Last year for Villa, he started twice in the league and made 10 sub-appearances. So pretty much identical. He, he's he got to be looking for a loan next season, hasn't he? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, the whole you know, one of the reasons he wanted to make a move from Villa was, was to play more and, and, and develop his career. Well, your stats have just sort of um, totally undermined that ambition. It has been weird because, as, as Liam points out, it's not as if Chelsea's been playing well. And he's not even been on the bench for quite a lot of games as well. It's not as if he's been even close to, to getting on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I think he needs he needs to go elsewhere. I, I, I'd be surprised if, you know, given that Chelsea are looking to sign other players, um in midfield, whether there's going to be room for him. Although in saying that, as I'm thinking in my head, you know they are going to be trying to get rid of quite a few, as has been discussed a lot on this show. So maybe there's a squad role for him, but I'm not sure that's the best thing for his development. Um, as for England under twenty, I mean he, he's he's a he's a starting member of that team. I think he scored the the most goals uh, in qualifying. I was watching the game last night and heard the commentator. I'm not claiming I've done research here. I just remember the commentator saying, oh, he's scored the most. He's got three goals or something. Because that would be worrying, wouldn't it, if I know things like that? Yes. <laughs> I know the England under-20 stats. Well, he scored in the final for the 19s last year, didn't he, in the Euros? Yeah, Harvey Vale with the uh, with the assist. And by the way, Harvey Vale, um, he started at uh, left wing back last night. And set up, uh, it's against Tunisia in case no one knows um, that England under 20 played a World Cup game in Argentina on uh, Monday night. I'm just trying to figure out what day it is. And um, yeah, he put in a lovely, lovely cross for England's winner. Um, there's another one that, that, that definitely needs a good loan. He had a very disappointing loan at Hull, got injured very early on. But he... It's almost like if Harvey Vale was playing for Aston Villa, Chelsea would have signed him for 20 million quid, you know. So he, he's that kind of talented player. So he needs to go get a really good loan next season and, and show what he can do and, and catch uh, Pochettino's eye. Right. Chuck Wemeka can come to Forest. Harvey Vale can go to Middlesbrough, play under Michael Carrick. That would probably be the best thing for him, I think. High-end championship loan. Uh, let's kind of spin it on a bit to, to Man United on Thursday. Chuck Wemeka might feature Liam, but Benoit Badia-Shiel is not going to, and he's not going to for the rest of the season and potentially the start of next too, right? Yeah, suggestions he could be out for up to four months uh, with this groin injury that he's picked up in training. It's... There's never good timing, but it's bad timing when you when you think of how little's on the line in what remains of this season and, and that this could easily bleed into next season. I, d- I don't think it's ideal for for Pochettino either because I think Badia Shield would be someone that he would want to get a good look at in pre-season 
with a view to building his provisional starting eleven for the, for the new year, it could potentially be very good news for Levi Colwell. And uh, you know that that sounds callous to say, but that's what football is: an injury for someone is an opportunity for someone else, usually. And the Colwell situation has seemed quite fraught for a while because of Badia Shield's presence. And if there is now an opportunity for maybe that left-sided centre-back spot to be open going into next year, and there's a chance for Colwell to go on the pre-season tour, impress Pochettino and, and, and maybe elevate himself in that in that period of time, then maybe something positive could come out of this for Chelsea. But obviously it's a, it's a blow for Badishil and, and in the moment it's, it's, yeah, it's not great news for anyone. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that affects whether Trevor Chalaber goes as well, I suppose. Um, Man United, I'm trying to inject some jeopardy slash interest into this game, Simon. Who's going to start in goal? Because Edouard Mendy's return didn't last for very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. blinking he missed it. Well, like the cross. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, so uh, I, yeah, that, that may have been... Uh, it may have been his last appearance for Chelsea. I hope not. I hope. I hope perhaps he plays against Newcastle, or, or yeah. But maybe sentiment. You have to take it take out of the equation if if Lampard wants to end on a high with two narrow defeats. Oh dear, Lucy, I've lost Lucy. She's yawning. Uh, <laughs> I've still got it. And this uh, is just this is just a downbeat <laughs> tour de force. This is the- <laughs> So, I, I just don't know how to answer this question. Uh, uh, I, I would say get uh, Gargar in goal, but he's at the under twenty World Cup as well with USA. Yeah, I mean, well, any, yeah. Does anyone care? Go on, next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question, Liam. Man United, of course, is the, the scene of Frank Lampard's first game as Chelsea head coach. Uh, this is going to be his penultimate. What can he do to kind of salvage his reputation, do you think? Is it, is it more narrow defeats, as, as Simon suggests? Is, would it appease anybody if Chelsea stopped Man United getting into the Champions League? Can he, do you give Chelsea any hope of, of not losing the game? Well, don't lose 4-0. God, this is depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't lose 4-0 would be, uh, would be priority number one, I would imagine. Played well in that game, actually, didn't they? It was never a four. They game. did, they did. Yeah, not according to Jose Mourinho, but Lampard, I think, was a lot more positive about that performance. Yeah, look, I don't think there's anything on the line really for Chelsea in this game. Clearly, Lampard is still looking at this with an eye on trying to get the best results that he can. There's obviously a self-interested element to that, but I think he would also say that he's trying to desperately uh, maintain some sort of standards at Chelsea between now and the end of the season that they at least continue to compete to try and win even if they can't actually achieve anything this year and I think what he'll want to see is the 11 players that he picks and the subs that he brings on play with individual pride he's spoken a lot about personal responsibility in the last few weeks and I think he'll want to see those players carry that onto the pitch but it's, I don't. I honestly don't expect much more of a game than well, may, maybe a little bit more than Man City because that was just so obviously a celebration, a coronation for them. 
but I don't expect a, a classic. In fact, I won't even be watching. Simon's going to it. I'm going to the FWA dinner. Compare um, and contrast. <laughs> yeah. I'll be I'll be hanging out with Erling Haaland and Sam Kerr that night rather than watching that glorified friendly on the TV. I know where I'd rather be. Well, I had, I had a ticket for the FWA dinner. I'm about to give it up to do the commentary of the game. So. <laughs> Smallest violin in the world, listener, eh? And um, what about Newcastle on Sunday then, Simon? Uh, it's good news that they qualified for the Champions League by drawing with Leicester on Monday night, isn't it? Because I guess they might take it a bit easier on Chelsea. But kind of more broadly, uh, Newcastle moved above Chelsea in terms of their prominence in English football now. Do you see this as a, a one-season thing from them? How, how far behind Chelsea are they? I think it's too early to talk about Newcastle overtaking them in terms of prominence. Obviously, they've overtaken them on the pitch. But no, I mean, Newcastle have actually bizarrely been a lesson. You know, they provide a lesson in how to actually spend money wisely, to have a decent coach, running things, building blocks, to not sort of lob in a bunch of 22-year-olds all together but to sort of have a Kieran Trippier and a, and a Dan Byrne, you know, people with knowledge of the league to sort of build slowly. And that now they've got their reward and they kick, kick on again. Uh, I'm looking forward to, I won't, you know, conversely, you know, sort of a bit of a job swap here. I won't be there or watching the game either. I'm going to be in France. I would have liked to be further away if possible, but I, France is as far as I could go. But I, I'm looking forward to hearing the, 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 about the lap of dishonour after the game. Will it emulate Tottenham's, which was which made... <laughs> although at least they had Harry Kane that they could sort of promote. There will be the end of season awards, I think, handed out before the game. I'm looking forward to that. I hope I'm in for one. Uh, most upbeat Chelsea reporter award. Um, <laughs> it's got my name on it. Best food truck outside Stamford Bridge, that kind of yeah. thing. Is, is that what we're going to be seeing? I didn't get my dig in earlier, by the way, which I'm still determined to uh, to get in that Chelsea's guard of honour at Man City lasted into the first half. No, no one seemed to tell them <laughs> that it was supposed to stop before the game kicked off. Um, so, yeah, that's my answer to that question. <laughs> Covered a lot of subjects, gone Lou. <laughs> There's got to be a special award for the uh, for the merch seller outside Stamford Bridge who was selling Joao Felix scarfs. <laughs> I just think that's that's a niche that needed to be serviced in 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 these few months and stepped up. In all seriousness, though, I, I think we've 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 had an answer. Not that I've been told anything, but I think just pure selection. I think we've got an answer into will Chelsea be signing Joao Felix. Haven't we? The last few weeks, it's it's been remarkable how he's he's gone from being sort of in the team every week to well, supposedly he was not fit on Sunday, but he just seems to have disappeared. Uh, speaking of players whose loan moves haven't gone very well, Liam Callum Hudson Adoy he uh, put a tweet out thanking Bayer Leverkusen and their fans, etc. Uh, season hasn't actually finished yet. Twenty-one appearances, one goal. One assist. His contract at Chelsea's up next year. Do you, do you think they try and flog him this summer or will Pochettino see him as a player that he can rehabilitate? No way of knowing what Pochettino thinks about him. But um, just looking at, at the situation as it stands, I would be very surprised if Callum Hudson-Odoi was a Chelsea player next year. Given his contractual situation, given that this loan has not been what anyone hoped, I know that he... 
he and the people around him, I think, had very high hopes for for this loan. You know, he's he's always considered Jaden Sancho a peer, and for a long time they were as teenagers. They were very comparable talents, almost exactly the same age, and. They took these divergent paths. Sancho went to the Bundesliga and, and just completely exploded. I think there was a feeling, or at least an optimism, that Leverkusen could be a platform for him to do something similar, to really remind everyone what an incredible talent, well, he, he still could be and was certainly once regarded as, definitely pre-Achilles injury. And he just hasn't made a real impact at all even beyond those stats. So that he hasn't even necessarily been starting every week. Seven starts in the league all season. Yeah. So I think he, he's just not been, he's not been anywhere near as impactful as, as anyone would have hoped. And I think Chelsea would have been hoping to see something big from him as well. And he, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't put himself in a great position to have, a big market this summer in terms of clubs that will be interested in him. He's got one year left on a on a big money contract at Chelsea, so that could be some sort of obstacle. I I would still think that there will be clubs in England prepared to take a chance on him because he's still, what, 22, 23? I think he's still young enough that you, you could take a... There will be clubs and there will be people within those clubs who are prepared to take a punt on his talent. But... I don't think it will be for the money that he's earning. So he faces a decision this summer, I think, because it, unless Pochettino just turns around and says, I've always loved Callum Hudson-Odoi, come in, I want you to be central to what I'm doing. He's he's not going to have a big role to play at Chelsea and he's probably going to have to take a pay cut in order to go somewhere and really kickstart his career. It's a big fall from grace, isn't it, Simon? I'm just looking at some of his his recent numbers and games. He scored against Juventus in the Champions League last season. He started the Club World Cup final, but he hasn't played 90 minutes for anybody since January 2022. I mean, is he one of those who you feel maybe in the, the Loftus-Cheek category or, you know, other players that we've seen in, in recent years who've left the Premier League and gone to Serie A and try to restart their career that way? Or is he more likely to, to stay in England? Yeah, I mean, look, he's tried the abroad thing just now, you know, and it, it hasn't worked. I mean, maybe sort of educationally, it's been good for him just to just to be somewhere different, try a different league. And there was some early signs of promise, but it has been a very strange... I, I've always wanted to the, the question answered. That's been my sort of my biggest sort of thing with Hudson Atoy, for him to be given the chance to answer the question how good he really is. And I feel like another year has gone by without him getting that opportunity. Now, there has to be a reason why uh, Xavi Alonso's not picked him on a, on a regular basis. I think injury, is, injury again, has, has played a part in that. Um, it's not just a case that he's been fit all season and barely played. So there, there must be something he isn't showing in, in training for, certainly in, in Alonso's case, to pick him on a regular basis. Um Interestingly, he's about the same age as Mudrick and you could almost compare the two of where they are right now in, you know, sort of raw talents that there's a lot expected of them, but have yet to, to fulfill their potential. The big difference between them is Mudrick is a initial £62 million signing and Hudson-Odoi is a Chelsea Academy product and, and, you know, Mudrick is the one that Chelsea are going to back, obviously. 
I don't really see a role for him improving. Certainly at Chelsea, I just don't see it. I just don't see him getting the game time he needs. So I think for his sake, I hope he leaves and goes somewhere that genuinely wants him. And he may have to accept the 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 sort of perhaps slight dent to ego of joining a a, a much smaller club at a much you know, smaller level. I'm not necessarily saying that's outside the Premier League, but just a much smaller. Are you suggesting he might have to play for a team in like mid table <laughs> in the Premier League? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one that's in thirteenth, not in twelfth. Um, <laughs> take that, take, make that sacrifice. But you know what I mean. That that you know, a club that that is looking for young talent that, that and they're going to play them every week and, and not sort of be rotated and on the bench and all these bits and pieces, minutes that he's had, it's felt like since the Achilles injury just hasn't helped him. He, he needs to play week in, week out for him to rediscover his confidence. Yeah, Ricks of uh, Everton to me, uh, but we shall see on that one. Uh, let's cheer ourselves up a bit, shall we? We'll talk about the women's team next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. one game away from another title and my job this week is to make sure everyone's focused going into that regardless of the game that's played out um, between Manchester teams and I'm super proud of everyone and I also want to say you know there's a great fitting day for Magda and, and P a great sign off Magda particularly as the captain in this club deserves not only scoring but doing that at home in front of these wonderful fans and P will forever be remembered as being one of the best attacking players in the world. So I want to say thank you to both of them. So once more, the women's team shine like a beacon over the rest of this gloomy season. Emma Hayes and co within touching distance of the WSL trophy after they beat Arsenal 2-0 on Sunday. It means the Blues end the campaign with a 100% home league record. 
Guro Wright and slid in the opener. Magda Eriksson marked her final appearance at the stadium for Chelsea with a goal. Her and Penilla Harder confirmed the exit Charlotte Harper told us about a while back last week. It means that Chelsea will be champions if they beat bottom side Reading in their final game on Saturday. Even a draw would probably do it, given their goal difference is five better than closest rivals Man United. They're two points back after their stoppage time win in the Manchester derby. Um, same old, isn't it, Simon? In, in the same way that we've run out of things to say about the men's team this season, for, for opposite reasons, it's it's kind of the same with the women's team, isn't it? This, this, on paper, should have been a tricky game, albeit Arsenal decimated by injuries, but one of their biggest rivals, and they never really looked like doing anything but, but winning the game fairly comfortably. Well, certainly in the first half, for sure. Um, Chelsea looked, they, they were at it from the very first minute. And like they were thinking, right, we can win the title today. Obviously, that didn't come to pass, but they got the win that should essentially clinch them the the, the title, given who they face on the final day. But the first half, they were they were superb. The the um the end product was lacking for the first twenty twenty five minutes. Got into lots of good areas and almost were trying to score the perfect goal. Lots of sort of final passes instead of shooting, which perhaps weren't necessary. But Wrighton's finish was was absolute class. Then, of course, the the, the perfect sort of send-off for Ericsson scoring from, um, from the set-piece. But the second half was a different game. Arsenal upped it and, and really, because uh, McCabe missed a penalty, they, they did cause Chelsea a lot of problems. And we saw the other side of Chelsea then, the sort of that, that's sort of what we saw in the FA Cup final, the sort of resilience, the sort of digging in, the sort of, yeah, it's not going well, so let, let's just control the situation. And, yeah, a very, very significant win. It feels like, yeah, there'll be a massive headlines if they don't go and, and finish the job off now. Yeah, they have had trouble at Reading uh, in the past, but, but Reading are, are not the force that they were previously they are bottom of the table and they need to win the game to avoid going down which should probably play into into Chelsea's hands as well uh, elsewhere, the Evening Standard reporting that Chelsea have agreed a deal to sign Canada international Ashley Lawrence from Paris Saint-Germain. She's a fullback. She'll sign a three-year deal. Uh, Liam, I'm liking the way that even though players are leaving like Harder and Ericsson, there seems to be a lot of forward planning about who comes in to replace them. And, it, and it's always been with Emma Hayes, hasn't it? Evolution, not revolution in terms of the squad. Yeah, and she said about a week or two ago, didn't she, in a press conference that they were almost done with their recruitment and the, the the summer hasn't even started yet. So her her and Paul Green have always been a, a very slick operation. I remember talking to him about it a few years ago for a big piece I did on, on Chelsea Women and they have a, a really good compliment in terms of, I believe Emma concentrates more on the overseas uh, market and Paul Green uh, focuses more on the domestic market, but they, they're kind of, yeah, I, I compared them in the piece to Brian Clough and Peter Taylor uh, in terms of the way they work. I knew you'd like that one, Matt, um, <laughs> in terms of the way they work together to identify uh, the best players to improve the team and, and recruit them. And we'll see how these new faces um, settle in. They've got some big boots to fill. Um, Ericsson and Harder have, have been great players for Chelsea for several years now, but we've seen... Hayes and Green get this right many times before. So 
you'd be inclined to trust their judgment. Yeah, uh, long may they reign. Hopefully, on next week's show, we'll be talking about Chelsea winning the title once again. Uh, that's just about going to do us for today, though. Simon, what's up on The Athletic and what have you got in the pipeline that people should be aware of, please? There's a couple of classic end-of-season pieces I'm doing just before I... I uh, I'd like to say hit the beach myself like some of the players have done. Um, but no, um, before I go off on my delightful break. And it, yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> a piece writing about Chelsea's play of the season. Yeah, no laughing at the back. And um, and, and I've, I'm also um, <laughs> doing a review of the season. Again, no laughing at the back. Um, I think personally... They've given the, this task, although I kind of nominated myself for it, but I'm going to go with it. They've given it to the right man, the, the, the one that's going to look on the bright side of everything. Who are you picking for your player of the year then? Oh, there's so many. There's so many that names that spring to my... Uh, spoiler alert, you know. I'm going to leave, leave the, fan, the, the fans, the listeners guessing who I've picked, you know, because um, it's going to be a tough call. It's going to be tough. I'm going to, actually, I'm going to have to go off into a dark room and think about it some more. Pat Nevin suggested to me the other week that it should be Kepper, and I thought, that's absolutely ridiculous. And then I thought about it and thought, but who else is it going to be? Um, maybe Thiago Silva? Uh, be quite nice if Kepper, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, we're clutching at straws here. Liam, what are you going to be writing about for the next few weeks for Athletic subscribers to enjoy, please? I'm working on a piece about Malo Gusto giving a, a bit of bad taste journalism <laughs> for, for people who enjoy translation puns, um, <laughs> giving him the, giving his game, the Y scout treatment, uh, just kind of what kind of, what kind of fullback is he? Um, how similar is he to Reese James? What can he bring to the, the, the Chelsea squad next year? Beyond that, I'm going to have a few drinks at the FWA dinner. Um, <laughs> See, see Erling Haaland let his hair down. Hopefully say hello to Sam Kerr. It'll be nice to see her pick up the, the Women's Footballer of the Year award for the second consecutive year. So I think that's a good uh, that, that's a good legacy achievement for her, I think, given everything she's meant to Chelsea over this time. Oh, and I'll, I'll be doing Newcastle on Sunday as well, the, uh, the final day of the season. I have thought of something I've written that <laughs> last few days... <laughs> Raheem Sterling, I did a I did a a big sort of explainer on his season and uh, looked into into sort of how he compares with his previous figures. Of course, you know, with with Mark Carey, a, a data guy, as you'd expect, the numbers are down, but they're not as down as in some areas as as you might think. Joint top scorer, most assists for Chelsea this season. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, it, it highlights. I think the piece highlights that, yes, it's very easy to point the figure at Sterling. And, of course, a lot of fans did again on, on Sunday with the, him missing a couple of chances at, against his former club. But, it, it, again, I think it emphasises that, yes, there are problems with the individual and, he, and he's, he's definitely had his issues this season, which kind of explains partly why the move hasn't worked so far. But also that it just, again, highlights that you know it's, it's a team problem. You know that he's not getting the service that he used to get, which I I know probably stating the obvious, but it's very easy to just say, "Oh, why isn't he doing what he did at Manchester City?" Well, 
he's not playing for Manchester City. That's that, and we all know that. So, as in the team is nowhere near as good, and and that's the, the problem that Pochettino has to fix. So anyway, there you go. I've I've remembered something that I've written, and uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people have got sort of their preconceptions of what Sterling is and and the kind of guy he is, but I, I wouldn't write him off just yet. I, I think he deserves a second go next season for sure. Yeah, he might be one of those players who Pochettino can get a bit more out of. Uh, speaking of which, Michael Cox has got a piece up on the style of football that Chelsea fans can expect to see under Maurizio Pochettino. And you can also read Charlotte Harper and Flo Lloyd-Hughes on the day that the WSL title race was almost won. Uh, that's going to do it for this week, though. We'll be back with our final show of the regular season next week. Do join us for that if you can. Until then... Thanks to Lucy, to Simon, to Liam and to you, listener. Have a good week. We'll speak to you soon. The Athletic.